Welcome to Alpha Coding Podcast, an all-access pass to medical coding and billing pro tips that help you start your week off smarter. And now, here is your host, Tony L. Holmes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Alpha Coding Podcast series. I'm your host, Tony L. Holmes. Welcome to episode 65 of the podcast. Today is March 29th, and I just wanted to say thank you so much to all of the listeners that reach out to me on a daily basis. The amount of messages I get really continues to blow my mind, and I'm grateful for each and every one of you. I love hearing from you. Please don't take offense if I don't respond back right away. I also get a ton of spam messages. My LinkedIn inbox tends to get really jammed up with spam and all of this other pointless stuff. So it does take me a while to get through those messages, but I see you and I'm so grateful for your support. So today we're going to cover a topic that seems to come up more and more these days, and I want to focus on medical scribe compliance. So I just worked on a case recently that involves some abuse of medical scribes, and I wanted to share some great pair tips with you on navigating this up and coming trend in medicine. So before we dive into our topic, it's time for your Monday dose of positivity, the Mindset Monday tip, and it's brought to you by RadRx. Are you interested in mastering a new specialty? and going after a shiny new specialty credential? If the CIRCC credential has been calling your name, then look no further. RadRx is your one-stop shop go-to resource for all things interventional radiology. The Cracking the IR Code on-demand course is a turnkey guide to cracking this complex and highly compensated specialty. Make that investment in yourself today and visit RadRx.com and mention my code ALPHA10 for exclusive pricing. So our Mindset Monday tip is all about knowing your value. So the quote I want to share with you says, if there's one thing I'm willing to bet on, it's myself. And I absolutely love this quote. It's by the Queen Beyonce and I have it up in my office because it serves as a constant reminder that I am always going to be my best return on investment. There is no chance that I will even flinch at the thought of investing in myself because I know I'm going to produce the highest return on investment. And that's the thing. You have to be so confident in the fact that you are your best investment. And every single decision that you make, no matter how minute it may seem, is either a bet for or against yourself. Always be willing to make that bet on yourself because it's a bet that you will never regret. So today we're going to cover my top 10 pro tips for navigating medical scribe compliance. Medical scribes have been around for a long time. We've seen a huge uptick in virtual scribes as a result of the digital health explosion. And a lot of studies out there show that it's a lot more cost effective and it provides better patient care when physicians are leveraged in a way that allows them to focus entirely on patient care and less on the data entry and administrative tasks. So for efficiency purposes, this is a very popular thing in hospital systems. I see it most commonly in specialty clinics. So I've seen some pretty mind-blowing stuff when it comes to medical scribe compliance, and there's a lot of misunderstanding in the industry about what the appropriate use of a scribe is and what they can and can't do. So I wanted to provide some insight for you on navigating medical scribe compliance. And this brings me to my pro tip number one, understand the medical scribe's role. 
So the entire purpose of the scribe is to record the facts and events, what happened between the patient and the practitioner during the encounter. And so scribes are really that facilitator of taking what's happening and making sure that it's recorded in the medical record. But there has to be clear evidence that the practitioner reviewed and confirmed what the scribe actually transcribed. So the idea is that the provider can focus on the patient care and the scribe is going to facilitate that data entry process. Another common use of medical scribes is for providers that are not super tech savvy. They struggle with navigating their electronic health record and so their medical scribe is able to assist them in navigating the EHR. The scribe can also help the provider locate things like previous notes, test results, labs, But one thing that is absolutely critical is that the medical scribe has to be extremely professional. They're not there to be a part of the patient's care. They're there to record the episode of care. And it's absolutely critical that medical scribes understand their role in patient care, but also everyone that operates in that organization. Many times I've seen a lot of misunderstanding as to what exactly the medical scribe's purpose is. Pro tip number two, medical scribes are not required to be licensed. So this is one of the few roles in healthcare that doesn't actually require a license. The medical scribe can be someone that is trained and designated as a medical scribe. So according to the Joint Commission, a medical scribe is an unlicensed person that is hired to enter information into the electronic medical record at the direction of a physician or practitioner. And it is the Joint Commission's stance that the scribe does not and may not act independently, but can document anything previously determined by the physician or the practitioner's dictation or activities. So moral of the story, this industry is highly unregulated, and because certification is not required, there's a lot of disparity in terms of the training and the knowledge base of medical scribes. Pro tip number three, know the Joint Commission standards. So the Joint Commission standards are pretty much the gold standards for the industry. CMS doesn't really have any specific guidance on medical scribe compliance Some of the MACs have come out and given different positions, but as far as the gold standard, it's definitely going to be joint commission. So they've published a lot of information about what those standards are. But to give you an idea of some of those standards, there has to be a job description that talks about the unlicensed status, talks about the qualifications and what their responsibilities are. They have to have regular training and orientation that is specific to the organization that they work with and their specific role. There has to be competency assessments and performance evaluations done. And then medical scribes have to meet all of the same IT, HIPAA, high tech, and confidentiality standards as any other organizational personnel. So not only are there standards that have to be met, but there's also ongoing training, evaluations, and assessments. And I'll tell you just based on experience, more often than not, these types of operational infrastructures are not in place. Pro tip number four, medical scribes are not exclusive to doctors. So this is another common misconception that only physicians can use scribes. So nurse practitioners, physician assistants, RNs, they can all use medical scribes. Now, it doesn't always make financial sense for these types of providers to utilize medical scribes, but I have seen it in some organizations. 
Pro tip number five, medical scribes do not require an employment relationship with the practitioner. So this is also a common misconception, unlike with, let's say, incident two requirements where there has to be an employment relationship between the practitioner and the physician. With medical scribes, they can be contracted in to provide that service to a hospital or a physician practice. So enter the world of vendors like Scribe America. So Scribe America is probably the largest medical scribe company that I've seen out there. They're very popular in large hospital systems, and we're seeing an uptick in medical scribe companies, especially virtual scribes. But the key takeaway here is that they don't have to be a direct employee of the organization, but they have to be monitored. They have to be trained. You have to provide them with orientation and you have to ensure that they're maintaining their professionalism. So although technically they may not be a direct employee of that organization, they're often treated as though they are an employee. Pro tip number six, medical scribes require training and must comply with the same regulatory requirements as other healthcare staff. So your scribes have to be set up in the electronic health record with a certain level of permissions. It's going to look similar to the provider permissions, but there has to be appropriate measures in place to ensure that they have the right permissions levels, but they're not set up and acting as a physician. They also have to abide by all of the HIPAA requirements, the high-tech requirements, patient confidentiality, patient rights standards, and it's always best practice to ask your patient's permission before you just bring somebody else into the room because sometimes patients get uncomfortable. So it's absolutely critical that your providers and your clinical staff introduce the medical scribe so that the patient understands their role and that they're not there to provide patient care or answer questions, but really just to record what's happening. Pro tip number seven, strong attestations are key for compliance. So there has to be a scribe attestation and it has to identify who the scribe is, what their role is, and the signature of the scribe. And this has to be clearly distinguishable from the physician or the practitioner that's rendering the service. There also has to be a practitioner attestation. So the rendering provider has to review the information transcribed by the scribe, and then they have to sign it, date it, time it, just like they would any other record entry. So one of the biggest issues I see from a compliance standpoint is that the medical scribe has been directed by the physician to just sign off on their notes. I've seen this way too often where medical scribes have been told by the physician, oh yeah, go ahead and enter my signature and the date and time, and they don't always feel comfortable challenging the physician, but it's imperative that the physician understands what the scribe can and cannot do. And the practitioner still has a responsibility to review and sign off on that record entry. So strong attestations from the scribe and the rendering practitioner are absolutely critical for compliance purposes. Pro tip number eight, medical scribes are not qualified to function as medical coders. This is one of the most common misconceptions I run into when I do assessments and when I do shadowing. I think there's somebody out there that needs to hear this. A medical scribe does not have the training, does not have the expertise to understand and operate as a medical coder. Now, I've seen a lot of providers out there that tell their scribes, oh, you're going to do the coding for me, and then they'll give them some cheat sheet and say, just pick the codes based off of this information. The rendering provider is responsible for picking their own codes. 
Now, this looks different in every organization, but at the end of the day, if that claim is submitted under that provider, they're ultimately responsible for what's being billed out. So some organizations have coders that actually go in and abstract code out the notes. Some organizations require their providers to put the codes in and then have coders actually look after the fact to ascertain whether or not those charges are valid. And then unfortunately, in some cases, the provider is the coder and there's nobody that's actually looking at what's being coded. So everybody's roles and responsibilities look different depending on the organization, but medical scribes are not qualified and trained to take on the task of medical coding. They're two completely separate areas of expertise, but I've seen so many times where organizations try to co-mingle those responsibilities and medical scribes don't always know to advocate for themselves. So obviously there would be the rare exception where somebody maybe was a medical coder and then decided that they wanted to transition into a career for medical scribing, but that's typically not the case. I usually see it the other way around. So moral of the story, medical scribes are there to record the facts and the events of the encounter. They're not there to operate as coders. Pro tip number nine, you cannot bill separately for the medical scribes time. I have to put this pro tip out there because I've seen this so often. I've seen where providers try to take the time that the scribe spends recording the patient information and tack that onto their evaluation and management service. So all of the payer policies that I have seen specifically say that they do not separately reimburse for the use of a scribe and that the evaluation and management service is an encounter between the patient and the practitioner. So there's no carve out for the scribe's time. And then another thing that I commonly see is when incident two services are misrepresented, when it's actually the non-physician provider acting as a medical scribe. And this is specific to the office setting, just because you have your nurse practitioner or your physician assistant operating as your scribe to make you more efficient, doesn't mean that that qualifies for incident two reporting. And if you need guidance on incident two compliance, definitely check out my previous episode. So there's no separate add-on or carve-out for a scribe's time. Pro tip number 10, oversight and auditing protocols are crucial for compliance. So because the responsibility of recording patient care is absolutely foundational to preserving the integrity of the medical record, this is something that has to be constantly monitored and evaluated, and there has to be strong quality assurance and compliance programs in place. You really have to make sure that the medical scribe is recording things accurately and they're in compliance with those joint commission standards. So there should be documentation guidelines in place specific to the medical scribe's role and responsibilities, that there are attestations that are being entered consistently and accurately, and that everybody has a clear understanding of the roles and responsibilities of the medical scribe and what they can and can't do for providers. And then, of course, providing ongoing training and monitoring performance expectations. There should be robust audit protocols in place, things to ensure privacy and security. And then, of course, I mentioned this earlier, but medical scribe professionalism is absolutely critical. Another effective measure that I've seen is surveying your patients to see exactly what their understanding of the scribe's role was in their encounter. 
and asking if your patients have any specific comments about the medical scribe's professionalism. So hopefully this gives you a lot to think about as you're navigating medical scribe compliance. So grab a pen and paper to summarize my top 10 pro tips for navigating medical scribe compliance. Number one, understand the medical scribe's role. Number two, medical scribes are not required to be licensed. Number three, know the joint commission standards. Number four, medical scribes are not exclusive to doctors. Number five, medical scribes do not require an employment relationship with the practitioner. Number six, medical scribes require training and must comply with the same regulatory requirements as other staff. Number seven, strong attestations are key for compliance. Number eight, medical scribes are not qualified to function as medical coders. Number nine, you cannot bill separately for the scribe's time. Number 10, oversight and auditing protocols are crucial for compliance. So it's time for this week's coding pro tip, and it's brought to you by Cario. Is your current EHR giving you headaches and impacting your cash flow? With Cario's integrated solution, you can rest assured knowing that Cario will deliver a complete technology suite that allows providers to effortlessly manage all functions of their practice in one place. This means less paperwork, increased patient satisfaction, happier providers, and better outcomes. Visit our website, alphacodingexperts.com, and head over to the Deals and Discounts tab for a link to access exclusive pricing. If you have a coding-related question and would like it to be featured in one of our coding pro tips, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. So this week's coding pro tip comes to us from Georgia. Hi, Tony. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and wanted to share with you that I think your show is changing a lot of lives. I have a question for you on coding for physical therapy services. I struggle with coding remainders for the time-based services and wondered what is your best way to approach knowing when and what services to combine time on. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for your kind words and support of the podcast. If just one person is positively impacted by this show, then my job is 100% worth it. So coding for PT time-based services is actually pretty tricky. So the rule of thumb is to look at the service that has the highest amount of minutes documented for that service activity. So let's say, for example, you have a therapeutic activity total service time of 35 minutes, and then you have manual therapy of four minutes. So in that instance, you're going to take the manual therapy time, which is four minutes, and you would add it to the therapeutic time, and that's going to give you three service units of the therapeutic time because you wouldn't have enough to report therapeutic and manual separately because there's not a minimum of eight minutes on that manual therapy time. So what you can do is take the manual therapy time add it to the therapeutic time, and then you have a total of three service units for therapeutic activity. So there is quite a bit of math involved when you're coding out PT services, and it's totally different depending on the circumstances of the encounter. So I hope that points you in the right direction. 
please remember to hit that subscribe button now so you never miss another episode. Also, be sure to drop us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. We really appreciate your support. So this concludes today's episode. Until next week, thank you for listening to the Alpha Coding Podcast. We'll see you next Monday. For more information about medical coding and billing pro tips, including how to hire Alpha Coding experts, follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or visit our website at www.alphacodingexperts.com.